What's good, fam? It's your man, Norm, here. Are you following us on social media yet? If not, you may find us on all of the major social platforms such as Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and even LinkedIn. Find us at New Numa. That's P-N-E-U-P-N-E-U-M-A. From there, you may find myself and Justin and follow our personal accounts also. As you know, feedback helps everyone grow and we need your feedback. If you want to join our team, have suggestions on how we may improve, if you want to be interviewed by us, or if you have someone you would like for us to interview, please email us at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you would like to see our podcast grow to that next level, you may also give financially to the cause whenever you feel like it by going to our anchor.fm page, clicking on the button that says support this podcast. We will greatly appreciate you sowing into the vision to help us spread the good news about the truth of God's kingdom worldwide. Thanks for your support and keep it locked right here. why it's it's like every person that is not Caucasian, I'm just going to say it like that because Caucasians cannot ever claim that they've had racist stuff done against them because there is no system that supports anybody who has done something against a Caucasian in America that will cause them to feel any oppression or anything like that. So, Caucasians cannot claim um, racism. What they can claim is that they've had prejudiced things done against them or bigoted things done against them. That's what they can claim. So let's let's get that straight. So a lot of Caucasians, when they hear what we're talking about right now, they're not able to relate because they've never experienced this kind of thing where it's almost like it's a language that you learn how to understand. Racism is like a language now to those that have experienced it. We know the language. We can see the signs. We know when somebody's doing something that's racist. Now, there are times, there are times, I will admit, when somebody does something and I'll question, I'm like, now, was that racist or was that just because whatever? Because I can't really tell in this situation. It's like, "Mm, that could have been racist or it could have been something else. And so you sometimes wonder, like, when you're in a situation, like, like if I was dealing with somebody else that was, let's say, an African-American person or whatever, and they do something, I'm not going to say that was racist. I'll say, oh, they don't like me. What's, why, don't, why don't they like me? They don't like me because of the way I look. You know what I'm saying? Or they don't like me because of what I'm wearing. I mean, what is it? They think I'm bougie. What, what is it about me that they don't like that's causing them to act like that? But I'm not going to think, oh, they racist because they didn't treat me a certain way. I just feel like they just walk around, they got a certain kind of disposition. But when it happens where it's a Caucasian that's doing it, then it's like, hmm, are they doing it because they are racist or are they doing it because they don't like what I'm wearing or they don't like my religion or what is it? So I, I'm saying all that to say that Caucasians wonder how it is that people like you and I will be able to look at certain things that seems like a small 
thing that happened and be able to see the racial thing behind it and see how you notice, you'll notice a difference between how they treat other Caucasians versus how they're treating you. And you're like, hmm, I noticed that every time this Caucasian walks in, they're opening the door for them saying hi. But when I'm walking in, they leave the door right there, make me have to push it open myself, and they don't say a word to me. Oh, okay. I see what this is. And it's certain things like that. So I wanted, I, I gave that as an example because I want you to share a couple things. I know you've shared things already, but I want you to share a couple things that seem so insignificant to most people who've never experienced racism, but you know when you see it that it is. Well, um, listening to you just now, you, you touched on a couple of things that brought something to mind. Um, and I'm going to bring it back to um, my current um, employment with Department of Defense, specifically Department of the Navy. Um, my commander, um, the commander organization, I heard him talk on a conference call um, recently. Um, he does these in place of the last um, open forums that he used to have prior to COVID-19. So during this conference call, he, um, he shared that it was just recently, within the um, recent months, that he understood what Juneteenth was all about. And so um, that didn't surprise me, but at the same time, um, I didn't appreciate that because of his position. He commands hundreds of people of all backgrounds um, from different parts of the world, not just blacks. And so as a leader, it's your responsibility to know the people that you you lead. You may not know them personally, depending on how many there are, if there's a whole lot, but when you have all these different observances every month, Black History Month, you know, they break out the fried chicken and the, and the, the chitlins and whatnot, or Hispanic American Month, and they break out, you know, <laughs> whatever they break out for that particular observance, and so forth and so on, as a leader, you should know um, the background of these people, where they came from, the struggles that they survived through, and that should help you be a better leader. Um, I see lots of times leadership now, all they know how to do is give orders. And if you don't follow those specific orders, the next step is, you come before them for judgment. But they don't take the time to understand you, understand your background, understand your struggles, um, what you may have survived through, what your parents may have survived through. And so um, that brings me to Emma Till. You remember who Emma Till is, Norman? Oh, of course. 
So Emmett Till wasn't the first, um, sad to say. Um, that should have been on a decline after Emmett Till, but I think people tend to forget, and, and I'm speaking about us, black people. We tend to forget. We tend to um, go back into a state of complacency. Um, we only concern about me and mine and and getting what we're trying to get, and we ignore that the struggle is far from over. And while on the other side, you know, um, Caucasian folks, they're going on with their lives too. They're going to continue to put their foot down on our necks. They're going to continue to look out for their own while suppressing us. And um, while we're forgetting and we're going about our walk, then here comes Trayvon Martin. And then from there, it continues to go on and on and on. And now we're at the place again where um, there's violence across the United States. Um, we're not just speaking up for ourselves, but we're physically doing damage. And that is forcing the government, local, state, federal, to take um, what they feel are appropriate actions. And so... Um, within this realm of racism within the federal government. Um, again, it's, it's, it's there. It's in the form of um, a white coworker getting a brand new comfortable leather chair, but you have to continue to sit in the same rickety chair with the screws coming loose every day um, and being uncomfortable for those same eight hours of the day. Um, you have to um, watch the folks who don't know their job get promoted because of the color of their skin. While you're working hard, um, doing everything you know to do, but you're not going to get promoted because you're not the right color. You're not laughing at the right jokes. You're not um, kissing up to the right people. Or no matter what you do, you're just not going to get the promotion because you're not the right skin complexion. Just, just plain and simple. They may not come right out and say that verbally, but their actions speak louder than what they verbally say. That's racism within the Department of Defense. Um, the actions that you see around you says it all. But there is this thing of where um, when you get skilled at discriminating, you know how to do it in between the regulations, in between the policies, in between the guidelines, under the nose of the watchdogs. You get skilled at that. Um, racism has always been said to, um, and discrimination, um, to be conducted by those with power and authority. Uh, we see it all the time. We've seen many um, leaders in federal government um, in uniform. They get outed uh, for doing wrong, but they get 
promoted, and then they go about their lives. So that's that's those are the things that you have to look out for and realize. Um, it may not seem like a big thing, but it is. It's a sign of a larger, um, consistent problem that we as African Americans um, face on a day-to-day basis. You know, you brought up something. I have to admit something that uh, I'm not admitting this to, per se, defend, but I am admitting this because it is a fact, and I uh, I just want to be transparent right now. <laughs> it wasn't until this year that I found out what Juneteenth was about myself. I know that sounds crazy, but <clears throat> this year I was uh, I kept hearing about uh, well, actually, I didn't keep hearing about it. I only heard it, I think, one day or um, something like one day or two days out of the week. And on the second time that I heard it, I said, let me look this Juneteenth thing up because I keep hearing about it. I don't know what it really is. So I looked it up, and I found out this week. So I'm ashamed to say that, but it is what it is. <laughs> good, good transparency, Norman. Good transparency. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, you know, so I mean, I, I know how some people they you know they either they're just completely ignorant because they don't want to know things, or they're ignorant of it because they just don't know. Um, yeah, but, and lots of times because there's not a need to know, they don't care. If you don't care about a race of people and their well-being and them being successful and flourishing, then, um, yeah, you don't, you don't waste your time um, researching um, their history, what makes them proud, or, or that, those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a sad thing, man. And, you know, one of the things that I, I had a discussion with uh, my friends Bill and Tracy Vanderbush, they, they had a podcast with me that um, the first one came out two weeks ago. The second one came out this past Friday. And now the next one's coming out. The last part of the three-part series come out this coming Friday. But, yeah, I was talking to them, man, and um, there's a lot of things that when we were discussing them, I said, you know, the bottom line is this. If you take time to get to know somebody, you actually find out how much you have in common. And then you'll be able to see where you can build, where you can, what you can build on. Because a lot of times people are not thinking that they can relate to somebody because they don't take the time to see if they can relate to them. And if you have people that actually sit down and say, you know what, I want to know more about you. I want to know about where you're from, you know, what makes you tick. What is it that causes you to you know, live life the way you do. And, and then I want to tell you about myself. And then there comes to be this place where they come to like a common ground and they say, this is where we both can, you know, say that we are on this, we, we think on this thing the same way. And, and I can now understand you better as a person. You can understand me better as a person. And now we can move forward with basically getting to know each other on a basic level and now we can go deeper and also begin to understand each other as far as our um, 
our person who who what is it that we can do together now because of the fact that we understand one another and we're not going to misunderstand something that someone does or says or whatever because we now know what it means we're not going to have a misunderstanding now we can get along and i really feel like i mean all in all that's what we're missing in america we're missing this place where like i intentionally did something years ago i told the lord i said okay lord you know I know I got a lot of, I know a lot of people, but my circle is limited as far as ethnicities. And I said, I don't know hardly any Caucasians. And I said, I want Caucasian friends. I literally said that to the Lord. And then I kind of um, started to make some movements towards that. And one of the things that happened was, uh, one day I was at a, I was at an event and I was introduced to this guy. He's a Caucasian guy. He was like the one that put it together. And then from there, he started to introduce me to people that were in his circle. And I started to meet more and more people. And then that started to grow as far as the base of people that I was meeting. And then out of that base of people, I started making friends with specific ones. And they were all Caucasians that I'm talking about. And it just happened to grow more and more from there. And then I was like, you know, I was at a church that was diverse, multicultural and all that. And that same thing happened there. And so all in all, what what I'm trying to say is that when people are really looking to, to actually get to that place where it's like they're not going to be looking at, you sideways based on your how you look or whatever, but they're going to actually take time to get to know what you are about and who you are and things of that nature and then start to see what's funny about the different cultures, what's, what's interesting about the different cultures, all this kind of stuff, the cultures, the subcultures within a culture because we're all in the American culture if you're in America. So we all share a common culture but then there's subcultures to that that a lot of times people don't understand. They don't understand the subculture. So I might not understand an Italian subculture of the certain things that they do traditionally or whatever. But if I sit down and talk to an Italian, then I can learn that. But then that, that means that I have to actually care to get to know about those people. And that's what a lot of, in a lot of instances, that's what we're missing in America, and that's what causes people to be so ignorant in America. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So if you had to give, like, um, at least one or two solutions that you feel would actually bring about uh, a real meaningful change in the federal government as it as it pertains to the subject. What would you say? What what are, what are some of those things that you would say would be solutions to these issues? Well, um, I'm gonna go back to 
where we started growing up as a kid in Baltimore. Growing up without my father meant that I looked to my mother to be the head. And her leadership was my example. If your leadership is a bunch of buttheads, then there's going to be those who follow and emulate that. So when I joined the military, I looked at leaders. I looked at the example that they set. Um, there were good examples. There were bad examples. There were those that were compassionate but yet firm, by the book, honorable men and women. They didn't say something or take an action, and then when somebody got their feelings hurt, came back and apologized and took back what they previously said or did. They stood their ground. They had morals. They had a commitment to excellence. So leadership is definitely, I feel, um, naturally, not spiritually, because I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to get into being spiritual and super spiritual, but naturally, leadership. Leaders who are truly um, trained, they have a heart for people as well as the mission. They don't put the mission above people because it takes people to complete the mission. And if you are leading um, a bunch of disgruntled um, people that's, that's doing, doing their job and not happy about it, um, they're not doing it wholeheartedly, you're, you're growing more problems. Once upon a time, the military was putting out a, a, a large number of people that they had just invested in, money, time, um, all the natural resources, uniforms, uh, weapons and ammunition, training you, just, you know, a lot of, a lot of taxpayers' dollars to get you prepared to, to fight and win conflicts, but putting you out because at some point in time, there became a disconnect. And in my mind, based on my experience, leadership contributes to that disconnect. I completely agree with you. You get to the head, you'll change the body. So, um, you know, those are things that you know, I was writing, I wrote some tweets the other day um, that I put out there about how we can reform the police. And essentially, the things I was saying about the police are the same things that could apply anywhere in government. Um, one of the things that I look at is, again, kind of like what you were saying about how the federal government, they don't want their, they don't want to air their dirty laundry out for everybody to see it. So, they're trying to deal with internal things with an internal supposed 
police policing agency in so many words. I mean, I know they're not law enforcement, but the EEO is supposed to be, in so many words, policing the way people do things so that they don't do it in an un, um, in a un, in inequality, in an unequal way, whereas there's inequality and stuff like that. So, uh, but when you have people, as you were saying earlier, that are working for the system, the same system that they're trying to correct, and now you got the people at the top schmoozing, and and all they do is they'll be like, Bob, yeah, you know what happened? Yeah, man. Uh, one of your employees named Jerk uh, Jerky, he he wrote me a message, and you know it says that you did this, that, and that. And he's like, man, come on, Bill, gotta let that go. Slide, make that slide out, make that go away. I got you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's so many words. That's what's happening. And it's like, you know, all they gotta do is talk to each other, and it goes away instead of it actually being dealt with. So in that sense. That's why there needs to be an outside agency, outside entity that has nothing to do with the federal government that will actually be able to have authority and power to assess things to the point where there could be some type of a action brought against someone or, you know, some department or whatever that's actually causing the racial injustices to occur or whatever it may be. So in that case, they weren't they would not be influenced by federal government anything to do with the federal government all they do is just say listen we're the we have determined that this person was you know unjustly terminated or whatever this was done to them and blah 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 you know and and actually get some things done because they're not inside being uh influenced by somebody that's supposedly their friend so I believe something like that would be a good place to start. Um, you probably heard of this before. You've heard of an ombudsman? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So if there was some kind of ombudsman that you could go to within the federal government to be able to then have them deal with the situation without it being known who is it being discussed, because that's another problem that I find with what you were talking about. It's like you can't go to somebody in confidentiality and say, I want this reported without my name in it. It's like you got to tell your name. And I'm not saying, well, you will tell your name, but, like, your name has to be included in whenever they're talking to this person or all they're going to have to do is say, who is it that said that? And then they'll tell the name instead of it being a thing where your name is kept confidential and it's just a knowledge that something has happened. So they won't know who did it. They'll just know that it was done. That right there would change a lot in the culture as well because then it's not like, I mean, I'm not saying it couldn't be done, but it's not like unless you were actually in the military, you can't really do what I'm talking about, what I'm thinking about right now in a federal government job like, Typically, you can't just make a whole department suffer because somebody reported something. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to the department to make everybody suffer so then give up a name or something? You know what I'm saying? I mean, 
Um, yeah. But to me, I'm just looking at it like if there was a system in place where someone could report something confidentially without it being known who said it or whatever, then that would also contribute. Because I believe there's a lot more people that would speak up if they knew that they could do something like that confidentially. Most people are not yeah. speaking because they don't want to be known that it was them. Yeah, but they sure. want to say something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I hate to go here, but um, if you look at our current um, federal government, in particular, the individual that occupies um, the presidency, he has systematically, over time, removed all the checks and balances from around him that will contradict what he plans to do and put people in place that will do his bidding. And so um, that's at the highest levels of government. Now, Anybody with common sense can see that. If you are watching and paying attention to um, what has transpired over the course of um, his presidency, you can see there's a long list of names with fired beside their names. They weren't just fired because they did not know their jobs. They were incompetent, um, something specifically job-related, um, they're removed because they did not fit the culture. Keyword, culture. And if your culture is one of uh, discrimination, retaliation, um, hostile work environment, um, gender, religion, um, all those different um, areas where discrimination takes place, on a grand scale, if you're not a part of that culture, then eventually you got to go because you're in the way. And so that's the same way it looks at the lower echelons of government, all the way down to um, state, um, local, county, um, the police department, um, the highway department, the unemployment department, Social Security Administration, it's the same way it looks there unless you have strong people in place and leadership and then they have people around them who will not answer to them but do their jobs um, impartially because of this is what is written and I took an oath or I was sworn in or I was hired specifically to make sure this particular area of operation doesn't get out of hand, then um, you're going to find the same pattern of misconduct. This is what I said do. Either do it or kick rocks, and I'm going to put some money in here to do what I say do because this is what I want done, not because it's right, not because it's just, not because it's godly, not because it's legal, but it's because it's what I want done. Yeah, that whole do it because I said so type of thing, man. 
that that's part of the culture. I mean, in the military, I understand it to some degree, but there has to even be a a check on that because sometimes, you know, like I remember when I was in the Navy, um, it wasn't combat related, but it was related to safety. And as a nuclear reactor operator, I would have authority to override an officer that was behind me telling me what to do with the reactor because of the fact that I had the more, I had the specialized training and he only had the general training and me knowing what would happen with that reactor. If he said, do this or that. And I said, and I knew that it was unsafe. I could override him and do something else. And it would not be considered a, you know, disobeying a direct order or anything like that. That needs to be the case with all positions, all military branches. And the problem is, in most of the military branches, that is not the case. If an officer tells you something to do, you have to do it regardless. And it's all about what they said, and you don't, you don't ever question their orders. And I believe that that is a part of the, the military culture that in certain situations, it has to be checked and it has to be addressed as if something is not safe or something of that nature or whatever, that people can override what an officer says based on the fact that they have certain things in a checklist that says, you know, this, this, this is happening and that's why I said no, or that's why I did not do that, and then be justified in that. That's part of, you know, that's a part of military culture that does need to be re-looked, readjusted, um, looked at it from another perspective because, you know, I, everything can't be, well, this is a direct order and you're going to do this, especially if it's something that um, is putting people's lives in danger unnecessarily. You know, it's one thing that obviously if you're in a war, you're in a war. But when you're just doing stuff just to be doing it and you're not the one that's suffering, but it's the person that you get ready sitting out there that's going to be the suffering one, then yeah, that's, that's where right. something needs to be checked. You know, no, don't tell me go outside when you know that the bombs are hitting right where I'm supposed to stand and tell me do it because I said to do it and then think it's something wrong because I said, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not safe. I mean, there has to be something like that in place where, you know, there is a way to override an officer supposedly giving you a direct order and all that by saying this was common sense or this was whatever whatever you would call it in that moment to not do a certain thing, to disobey the order or whatever and be justified in it. So those are some of the things, man, that, I mean, these are some of the systemic changes that have to be looked at and have to be adjusted, man, because like you said, and this was shocking when you told me, there were people that you worked with that were trying to get you killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I'm speaking up against exactly what you just described, things that weren't not only lawful orders, but um, immoral or illegal, or just simply because um, it was something that 
they preferred I keep my mouth shut and just do, but to speak up against it, again, put a target on my back. Yeah, that's that's crazy, man. Well, Tim, I know that uh, you 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 know you went out there, so to speak. You put yourself out here by even speaking out against this stuff. And I just want you to know that I appreciate you um, having the courage to do it, and you know having the the drive within you to say, you know what, something needs to be said, something needs to be done and all that, and we do need to see changes in all these areas. We, you know, the federal government in many ways is the major culprit behind why we have systematic racism in general in America. So so there has to be changes that occur in there first. I mean, I was, you might not have heard of this book, but there's this book called White Fragility, it's by a Caucasian woman. I think her name is Robin D'Angelo. I think that's her name. And um, she's got a Ph.D. and all this kind of stuff. And she breaks it down about how Caucasians, they always have a hard time having discussions about racism. And the part of the reason is because they, they feel like just because they smile at somebody or they were nice or whatever the case may be, then that means that they're not racist. But what she was trying to say to them is the fact that you think that and said that shows that you're racist because you don't really understand what racism is. Right. Racism is not about whether you are nice to somebody today or not. It's not about if you smiled and did a kind gesture. It's about a system that Caucasians all around the country are benefiting from. And if they don't benefit from it in a really direct way, they still, they still benefit from it in an indirect way. Because just the fact that they walk into a room and they're Caucasian will get them a leg up on somebody that's not. So that's, right. that's part of the problem in America that we see. So, Basically, she was just saying in the book that uh, one of the things that she was saying is that um, Caucasians need to understand that there's a difference between prejudice and racism. Prejudice mm-hmm. is something we all have. Racism is something that only comes it comes from a system that's in place. And when you have a system that's in place that you benefit from and that oppresses other people, then inherently it makes you it makes you a racist from the perspective that you have to fight against being racist because of the fact that you are benefiting from the system. Uh You see what I'm saying? It's like you're in it benefiting from it. So you have to fight extra hard to not be because of the fact that you are benefiting in that system. So it's kind of interesting, man, that, that, um, and she has seminars on YouTube about it. And I hope that people that are listening will actually look them up because they're very enlightening. They are very, um, thought provoking. They break stuff down in such a way where people can't deny it. It's like Caucasians have to realize whether they want to be or not, that if they are not checking themselves, 
on a regular basis, they are always doing something or in a situation that will be perceived as racist by other people, even if they don't realize it. But it's all yes, because sir. of the system that they grew up in. It's kind of like uh-huh. she made a statement. She says, by the time a child is three years old, they already know it's better to be white than anything else in America. Yep. It's crazy because they see everything programmed that way. They got the Miss America pageant showing them that, the teen, the, the teen whatever they got, whatever they call it, Miss, Miss Maryland or whatever state it is, Miss Teen USA, those pageants, those are things they can look in government and see it's mostly Caucasian men, uh, whatever. It's like you look all over the place and you see everything is like predominantly Caucasian. Wherever, wherever it's decision-making going on and stuff like that, predominantly Caucasian, if not all Caucasian. So that's where the systemic racism comes in. And people who are growing up in that, because they're not being oppressed, they don't recognize that it exists. But as soon as they are actually able to see, okay, I'm benefiting benefiting from this, whether I want to or not, I'm automatically a beneficiary of it. Now it's like uh, it's their job to detoxify themselves from that and to recognize when they're in a moment of racism and then and then acknowledge it if it's dealing with a person and they and that person has been affected let that person know and ask for forgiveness or whatever and ask them to show them how to get out of that and move forward because that's the only way we can continue to grow and actually make changes out of this system, man. People have to literally be reconditioned. I mean, we literally have to have, and some, in some ways things are changing to bring that about. We're seeing it in commercials. We're seeing it on, you know, movies. We're seeing it in places that are uh, very influential in society and culture. Um, we're seeing where they're putting more mixed couples together or something like that, or they're having more um, mixing of ethnic groups together, mingling and friendships and relationships and stuff like that. So we do see it happening in the places that actually influence the minds of people. Um, But we need to see it more infiltrated into or filtrated into um, political, the political arena, stuff, so forth and so on. I mean, the thing is, is that when we hear about what's going on with the LGBTQ community or um, as some would put it, the alphabet people. Uh, <laughs> All right. Watch yourself. You're going to get in trouble. <laughs> no. If, if you look at the alphabet people, what they what they've done over the last twenty years or so, they slowly infiltrated into higher positions of power. Now you finding that certain people coming out talking about they're gay or lesbian or whatever, and look at the positions they hold, because what they realize that a lot of us 
to not realize is that if you want to get changed, you got to get to the top where you make the changes. That's right. So for those that are listening who have been avoiding getting into quote-unquote politics, getting into higher positions of authority and power because you keep on shying away talking about, I don't want that responsibility. Well, you either want the responsibility to make changes or you want to continue to receive the lack of changes. Which one do you want? Because if it's something that keeps on burning inside of you that you want to see changes and you're tired of this, that, and the third happening, you got to do what it takes to make that happen. So that means that you might have to give up your comfortable position of sitting on your behind doing nothing at your job to then taking a job where you're going to actually have to be doing some work that's mental, but it's still work. You're still right, going right. to have to be, you know, active. You're going to have to, you're going to have to actually type up emails. You're not going to be able to be talking on your phone all day. You're not going to be able to just sit around shooting the breeze all day. You're going to actually have to put forth effort to bring forth change into whatever environment you're in. It starts where you are. You know, a person doesn't go from being a person on the street to being the president of the United States tomorrow. There's a progression. There's certain things you go through, whether it's a formal political path or whether it's you did some other things outside and then you got into a place politically, whatever it takes, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that if you want to see change, the way to make the changes is to be the one who makes the changes. <laughs> it's that simple. Yeah. You want yeah. you want laws to change? Become a law changer, lawmaker. What were you gonna to say, Tim? Yeah, I will add to that, Norman, and and say while we are singling out groups of people, um, you know, there are those of us out there that are a part of the problem, um, not the solution. Um, so those of you who are um, discriminating, hating. Um, holding down your own kind, you you just as bad too. Yeah. So, you know, we covered a lot today. Um, and like I said, man, I really appreciate you coming on here, spending your time um, talking about these things. Um, this was a very important subject to discuss. And in the midst of what we're dealing with in America, it's right on time. It needs to be done. It needs to be heard. And uh, I hope that the right ears hear this, that will actually be able to make changes and be able to be ignited into something that they have been fighting for a long time maybe or something that they didn't want to do and they realize that's the only way they're going to see the changes that they keep talking about. So, um Hopefully people that are listening will be ignited into activism and you will actually start to do stuff towards making the systemic changes occur. So with that being said, um, Sam, thank you again for being on the show with me. Um, I really appreciate it. This is, like I said, this is monumental. It's historic for me to first time have a, a family member on the podcast with me, man. That was, it's amazing. So um my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and um for all those that are listening, make sure you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. 
If you're on LinkedIn, you can find us on there as well. You know where the name is, New Numa. And, um, and make sure you also share this with your friends and family. I mean, we're all over the world. Uh, we're in 25 countries being heard. We're in 277 cities and counties. So all over the world, people are listening to us, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Dubai, Ireland, Brit- Britain, France. I mean, we're all over the world, and, and people are listening in. They're tuning in to what we're saying here because what we're talking about is important things. Now, thank you again for joining us. We appreciate you. If you want to financially support us, that's great. You can cash app us, dollar sign, new numa. And um, also go to our website and get on the email list, www.newnuma.com. Thank you again for all of your, you who are supporters and listeners of the podcast. Make sure if you are Apple iTunes listener, please go on there and give us a five-star rating with a good comment to go with it. We will appreciate that. It helps us to get more attention of more people and gain traction. And, uh, again, thank you for listening to us. We appreciate you. Peace.